Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 18, The Graveyard of the Pacific. A Geographical History. The so-called Graveyard of the Pacific refers to a notorious stretch of coastal waters in the Pacific Northwest, extending approximately from the coast of Oregon to the northernmost tip of Vancouver Island. An especially treacherous segment of the watery graveyard spans from the Olympic Peninsula in Washington to Bamfield, British Columbia. This coastline contains a vast and varied history of amazing peoples, deadly wrecks, ghostly occurrences, and is now home to one of the most popular hiking trails in North America. Today's episode is co-written by Ava Hansen from the Tofino Clayoquot Heritage Museum in beautiful Tofino, British Columbia. The museum officially opened its doors in the summer of 2016 and has built upon a long legacy of local historical, cultural, and archaeological research about the west coast of Vancouver Island, the indigenous peoples that inhabit the area, and the Pacific Northwest in general. Tofino is a great town to visit. If you go, please stop in and visit the museum and support local history. This week's book recommendation is West Coast Adventures, Shipwrecks, Lighthouses, and Rescues Along Canada's West Coast by Adrian Mason. This was published by Altitude Publishing in 2003 and is a fun and thrilling read about all that went on in the graveyard of the Pacific. Okay, let's get started. The human maritime history of this particular stretch of the Pacific Ocean began with the first of the Nichanoth-speaking peoples to inhabit the area. Though not commonly practiced today, the Nichanoth still maintain the reputation of being incredibly successful whalers. Dead whales, for instance, could be pulled into shore when seen adrift on the high seas, but more often than not, whalers, trained in their deadly craft from childhood, would seek out massive baleen feeders. This could require offshore journeys undertaken by a crew of highly trained individuals in a dugout canoe. The dugout canoes of the West Coast are hollowed and shaped out of a single red cedar log. 
These vessels are suitable in the offshore swell and weather both good and bad, though it was certainly a risky career path. Stories have come down over time that these dugout canoes were also suitable for long trading journeys up and down the coast of the Pacific Northwest, all the way from Mexico up to Alaska. Canoes were 9 to 11 meters long and about 1.5 meters wide approximately. To hone in further geographically, we'll take a look at the more recent history of the various Nechanoth nations living in the region. Specifically, the territory of the Huayat, Pachidat, and Dittidat nations, all new channels speaking, living between Bamfield and Port Renfrew on the west coast of Vancouver's island. As a quick aside, there are 16 new channel speaking nations, which are all separate political entities. Villages historically dotted the shoreline, each one advantageously or culturally significant in where it was situated. By the beginning of the 20th century, most of these Nechanoth residents of this section of the coastline began a steady migration to the more populated village centers of Bamfield, Cowichan Lake, and Port Renfrew, closer, of course, to amenities and modern services. This, in fact, made the coastline a much riskier place for passing ships, with fewer watchful eyes scanning the seas and on alert during the storm season. At the beginning of this migration, attempts were made to bring white settlers to the region. An area called Cluus was advertised internationally as a resort-worthy destination by the West Coast Development Company. Preemptions were sold by the company, and European settlers arrived with supplies for homesteading and creating a life of comfort. Even a grand piano made it off one of the steamships to Cluus. Some of the earliest homesteaders were determined, though perhaps discouraged when they arrived at Clues. A post office was established and a new community grew. This settlement project, however, was disrupted in 1914 with the onset of the First World War, when most of the men left the village to enlist in the war effort, and the majority of their families later abandoned this settlement. At this time, there were three lighthouses illuminating the section of coastline between the Olympic Peninsula in Washington and the Broken Group Islands, midway off the west coast of Vancouver Island. These were Cape Flattery, which was built in 1854, Carmona Point, built in 1891, and Cape Beale, built in 1874. These proved to be much too few. Commonly, boats traveling in the night or in dense fog would miss the entrance to the Juan de Fuca Strait, mistaking the Cape Beolite for Carmina. And for our listeners, I will post a map which gives a very good detail on where the lighthouses are located along the stretch of the coastline. Now, one such vessel that infamously made this mistake was the SS Valencia whose sinking is considered the worst maritime disaster on the North American Pacific coast and has been called by some the Titanic of the Pacific Northwest. The SS Valencia was an American ocean-going steam vessel built in 1882. It was designed to carry a combination of passengers, 
cargo, and mail, and saw service all throughout the Western Hemisphere on both the Pacific and Atlantic coasts. The Valencia was even used as a troop carrier during the Spanish-American War in 1898. By the early 1900s, the ship was making passenger runs up and down the Pacific coast from San Francisco to Alaska. In 1906, the Valencia was loaded up with 108 passengers and 56 crew members when she became lost near the Juan de Fuca Strait. Unable to recognize the entrance to the strait, the ship eventually collided with a reef near Pequina Point on Vancouver Island about 13 kilometers south of Bamfield. Her captain ordered the ship to reverse, and as she entered back into open water, she rapidly took on more water through a large gash created by the collision with the reef. In order to prevent her sinking, the captain ordered her to run aground once again, and the Valencia was driven into the rocks. Chaos now erupted on the ship, as the Valencia pulled away from the shoreline and then smashed back into it. Six of the seven lifeboats were lowered into the water, despite the ship's captain, a man named Oscar Johnson, ordering the crew and passengers to remain on board. Simply put, it was pitch black, and the seas were crashing mightily into the rocks that now held up the Valencia, releasing the lifeboats he believed would only have put the passengers at greater risk. The lifeboats were released anyways, and carnage ensued. Three lifeboats flipped while being lowered, Two capsized once in the water, and one was never seen again. One eyewitness account spoke of the chaos. Screams of women and children mingled in an awful chorus with the shrieking of the wind, the dash of rain, and the roar of breakers. As the passengers rushed on deck, they were carried away in bunches by the huge waves that seemed as high as the ship's mastheads. The ship began to break up almost at once, and the women and children were lashed to the rigging above the reach of the sea. It was a pitiful sight to see frail women wearing only nightdresses with bare feet on the freezing ratlines, trying to shield children in their arms from the icy wind and rain. A reminder, you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and of course at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. Now, if you happen to go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. We survive solely on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page and on iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy, especially if you think we're worth five stars out of five stars. Now back to the program. Word of the disaster of the Valencia had reached Victoria fairly quickly, and three ships were dispatched to the scene to try and save those that were left clinging to dear life. Yet the limited visibility, combined with the ravaging of the ocean, made it difficult for any of the ships to get in too close without themselves being thrown against Vancouver Island's rocky shore. Some of the passengers who were cast adrift found a way to shore, while others were able to make their way to some rescue boats, the ones that were left afloat. The vast majority of passengers and crew, however, died. Those that were tied to the rigging tragically went down with the ship when it finally sank shortly after the arrival of rescue boats. The death toll has been contested, 
as high as 181 souls lost, while the U.S. government reported 136 lost. Regardless, each report confirmed that every single woman and child on the ship was lost to the sea. As an aside, a number of ghost stories flourished after the Valencia's sinking. A group of sailors reported seeing a lifeboat with skeletons rowing. A phantom ship resembling that of the Valencia has reportedly been seen traveling the same stretch of water where she originally sank. What is not a ghost story, however, is that one of the Valencia's lifeboats was discovered floating in the ocean in 1933. No one was on board, and the lifeboat itself was in remarkably good condition. In the aftermath of the Valencia's sinking, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt ordered an official investigation, and it was founded that a series of mishaps ultimately led to the sinking. Not so much a sinking caused by human error. While the B.C. government quickly realized that those sailing along Vancouver Island's coastline needed better visibility and a quicker response time to various accidents, and these needed to be improved dramatically. It's important to understand that the Valencia was only one of a number of wrecks that eventually dotted the coastline and gave this stretch of the ocean its name as the Graveyard of the Pacific. Something like 180 wrecks were reported over a 200-year stretch from the late 19th to the 21st century. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, lighthouse keepers did what they could to be the first responders and get word out to Victoria and Bamfield with a telegraph line, but this help often came too late. After the Valencia incident, a lifeboat station was built at Cluus, where a landing stands today. It was also decided that cabins for the telegraph linesmen should be equipped with extra supplies so that they could fix the telegraph line and stay out there in case they didn't get it fixed, and also that a new lighthouse should be built north of the wreckage site of the Valencia. Paquina Lighthouse was thus constructed in 1907. The first frame for the structure was in fact lost to the frothing seas below when the cliffs it was initially built on collapsed into the deep blue of the Pacific Ocean. Another lighthouse was built shortly after and has remained ever since. Though it began as a telegraph line trail in order to respond to wrecks like the Valencia, the craggy coastline and sandstone shelf, notable topographical characteristics of the area, was eventually widened and supplied with emergency shelters and supplies, thus beginning its conversion into what is now known as the West Coast Trail. Fishing communities of the area are well aware of the risks, and the Coast Guard station at Banfield remains ever vigilant. A relatively new rescue and patrol crew was formed when the West Coast Trail was incorporated into the Pacific Rim National Park Reserve in 1971. 
Luckily, hikers are not as susceptible to the risks of the waves, though surge channels pose risks to unaware hikers, and not heeding the tides pose serious risks to anyone entering the water. This has unfortunately resulted in tragedies for some. In fact, crossing a particularly treacherous point, known as Nittinat Narrows, would not be possible without boat rides from a local family, the Edgars. After it was incorporated into Pacific Rim National Park, the West Coast Trail was continuously improved and hikers now come from all over the world to walk its coastline. There are some physical remnants of old ships, a boiler sticking out of the sand at Michigan Beach, bits of rusted metal between rocks, but once you've watched a storm from a bluff or a beachside campground, it doesn't take much imagination to realize that this area can quickly go from hotspot visitor destination to hostile terrain and angry waters. Every summer, a team of park staff contribute to safety patrols and perform hundreds of evacuations off the trail by boat. Thus, what was once a coastline of death and destruction has now become one of Canada's most attractive hiking destinations, broken up by scenic beauty, gorgeous coastlines, and the odd ghost ship. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.